Hey, Misfits. Did you miss me? Today's episode is so informative. I'm joined by a dear old friend of mine who's not a comedian, Rob Biko Baker, who's a social activist and nonprofit organizer. And he dropped so many jewels about today's political climate and what to expect in the future. And through it all, he remains to be positive and to do the work. You're listening to Social Misfit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Social Misfit on location, coming to you live from Milwaukee with one of my dear old friends who I haven't seen in so long. He's actually not a comedian, but he's a social activist and all around smarty arty Negro, uh, Rob Biko Baker. Chloe, how you doing? <laughs> how you, you doing? This fake ass Chloe. Um, we're in his big, huge office space, which if it was in New York, it would have cost. It would probably be like thirty thousand dollars a month for this space. Definitely not thirty thousand dollars a month in Milwaukee. <laughs> Nowhere near thirty thousand dollars. It's a whole floor. It's huge space, and I'm so envious because if I had this space, I don't. I mean, I'd be unstoppable. I'd have a full movement going. Yeah. So Biko, tell the people where have you worked before because your resume is extensive so they know that you know what you're talking about i was with the national hip-hop political convention that uh sort of transformed to the league of young voters i've been involved with everything from the new organizing institute i was one of the co-founders of the byp 100 and i am the advisor to hands up united in ferguson missouri and you also work with harry belafonte oh yeah yeah my Oh man, you talking about clients? You know, I'm uh, the social media person, whatever, whatever they want to call me at Sankofa.org uh, with Mr. B and Gina B and Raul Roach. And then my uh, one of my favorite clients is uh, Ben McBride, um, Pastor McBride at Live Free, mm-hmm. and then um, Erica Ford from Life Camp in New York, badass Erica Ford. She came here and killed it. She's awesome. Biko's looking at me really weird. So this is the history between Biko and I. I used to be his boss, essentially. When I was a journalist at Source Magazine, he was a writer that came to me through, I don't even know how, uh, Ryan Ford. Ryan Ryan Ford Ford, introduced us. He introduced Biko and I, and Biko was a writer based in Milwaukee, and I was handling all the politics writing at the time. And he wrote for me, and that was over almost like 10 years ago. Yeah, Damn. yeah, ten years ago. Ooh wee. I think so I stopped two thousand six. Wow. I remember you saying to me on the phone, yo, Chloe, you gotta look out for this dude named Barack Obama. He's gonna be big. And that was ten years ago. Wow. Yeah, man. I was doing some stuff with Barack Obama's team in uh early oh eight. Yeah. He was coming through killing it. Okay, so because we have so much to talk about, and I know if we just don't get to your post, we'll just start having our own conversation. Um, I would like for you to read this post that you put up on Facebook, Mr. Biko Baker. One thing we can't do is give up on the future. We got to keep envisioning a world that does not exist. Our dreams are the most powerful tools we have. Yeah, man. It sounds so optimistic and hopeful. Yeah, man. We got to be op- You're not optimistic and hopeful. I should ask you because, see, Biko is being really modest right now. Biko has worked in the trenches of social 
justice and activism for almost 15 years. So you've seen a lot of things. So for you to be this positive, you're way more positive than I am, considering I haven't been out on in the front line. So where do you get this positivity from? You know, <clears throat> you know how you got like a friend that's a, like a really dope artist. Mm hmm. And you've been telling people like, oh, this person's gonna be big. This person's gonna be big, and all of a sudden they get big, and everyone sees it. Yes. I just sort of felt like the last ten years, man, people have been like, not really seeing what's going on, and you know maybe it's because of my unique background from Milwaukee or you know being so involved in politics. But I've seen this coming. It's like a slow-moving car crash, and uh, I was angry, really angry, about three years ago, mm -hmm. and now I, I see, you know bright lights because people who are once never political are on the front line you know and they're talking hella hella ish you know yeah. and that inspires me and lets me know i don't gotta be out there no more <laughs> as much because <laughs> there's a lot of more people out there than ever before and i'm i feel good about that yeah so you so you you're seeing people around you who haven't been and that, that i'll speak to that too because i definitely followed news and what's going on but i've been much more uh vigilant with it and definitely understanding like the checks and balances and you know how the government actually works. I mean, cause when you, once you leave like junior high school, you're not really thinking about the three parts of government. Like you're not really factoring in who does what. Um, and you just, everything gets put on the president. And so now I think more people are thinking about secretary of state and defense department and all these other things, because we realize that the people that are in place right now have no idea what they're doing. So we might as well figure out what their job is so we can hold them to task. Yeah, man. But, got to. But the thing is, is that you've been doing it. So so you also have some other posts that, you know, we're going to touch on. And you're very disappointed with the Democratic Party right now. So right. let's speak to that because you've been there. Yeah, I mean, Do you I, consider yourself a Democrat or a progressive or a progressive Democrat? I'm a radical revolutionary. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I might have said a progressive maybe three years ago. But, you know, what? I, the reason why I'm hopeful is because. Again, you look at the Democratic Party and what they've been doing, and they've been just riding off this brother's coattails. Mm -hmm. And they have had, you know, very little influence with our generations without Obama. And I think what I'm seeing now is like young black people like 21, young Latino people like 25, 26, who are like inspired by Obama, who are banging on the Democratic Party. And, you know, we got to because they don't that's a corporate elitist party, man. And you can say that it's not. But who drives it on the fundraising? You know, you're going to do yeah. what the funders say. So. so what so who so what drives the GOP party? It's the same thing. It's yeah. the same people, man. I mean, there's might be like. a But hippie. they're way more Christian radical. They're way more evangelical. You think Donald Trump is a Christian event? No, I'm saying the GOP party is motivated. Southern, I think the Southern GOP constituents is motivated by Christianity or what they believe to be Christian evangelicalism. And that's why they're anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ. It's not, I mean, all of those things come from their religious viewpoint, which is why DeVos is now <sighs> Secretary of Education. Chloe, because these people are fascist. They're not Southern, they're not Christian. Well, that, not, but that's what I'm saying. They're not evangelical. Is, but that's what they're, but they're hiding they're behind this religion. The, control the world. That's what. That's why they do this. You know, you, you might not be even better to play this podcast after you talk to me. <laughs> no, I want to play it. People need to know because this is the thing. I mean, I, 
I am a comedian and I'm a journalist. So of course I, I have both sides of me when I'm working on this podcast and I've had comedians so far. So you're my first non-comic and I've been talking about politics with comedians, but you are someone who knows what happens behind closed doors. So explain it to us. When I see the GOP, I think Southern racist for the most part or I think Southern racist or middle America uneducated white people who are voting for their personal interests of white supremacy yeah I agree with that that sounds like Christian to you I mean <laughs> no, they, I know I, but I'm just saying but they hide behind yeah, the morals hide. of of religion they hide behind morals of religion but I think we're going to see it less and less because I think what we're going to be seeing is is going to be stark contrast and what some good Christian people are saying you know one thing I've seen now is a uh, Christian people I went to school with, you know, if you live in Wisconsin, most of us know Lutheran people and they're, you know, they're like they're chill. as white yeah. as they get. Yeah, but they're chill though. They're, they're not chill. they're not super radical. But they also will stand outside with an abortion sign and stand out there for about 10 days straight. Yeah. With peanut butter jelly sandwiches. <laughs> so the but I think what you're seeing is that they're moving away from that. And I think they're going to have to go all the way to all authoritarianism fascism because the dollar is dying you know yeah and they want to keep as much control until they can't so so explain fascism for people who don't understand because we hear fascism we hear socialism we hear we're hearing oligarchy and author author wait authoritative authoritarianism authoritarianism so what what is fascism and you think that's where we are right now we're moving to fascism yeah i mean uh if you read 1984 everybody's read that and i know that you even told me yesterday, like, it's flying off the... Yeah, uh, yeah, they have to reprint it. It's number one selling book. So that's, I mean, that's fascism. It's like the control of the state and the manipulation of the media and, and the hard line of, you know, on gender and equality and progressive values. But it's hard. It's punching you in the face and, and complete control. And I live in Wisconsin. We've seen that with Scott Walker, man. The first thing these guys do is go for voting rights. You know, mm-hmm. people, we were all kicking it a couple years ago. But they got rid of the Voting Rights Act, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, you know, why? There's never been any convicted person going to jail for voter fraud. It's a narrative. It's, they've been using alternative facts now for three or four years, and we've been watching Love and Hip Hop. So, so you're saying that this has been taking place in Milwaukee, in in the state of Wisconsin, for a while. Is this the place where they got rid of the unions? Act Ten. Yeah, I remember seeing that. <sighs> Oh, you remember media. seeing it? I, I remember seeing it. No, I remember seeing it because there was pro. There were people were protesting in City Hall, right, or in the in the state cap- capital, state yeah. capital about. So basically, your governor, your governor Scott Walker, has done away with voting rights, and has done away with unions in the state of Wisconsin. And then the and immediately after the economy tanked, and then what did they do to fix his fuck up? Oh, we just living, man. We just living out here. <laughs> it's the hood. Welcome to King and Garfield. It's a nice space. So, and then you know, you know who uh, Trump's chief of staff is? Who? Reince Priebus, who ran Scott Walker's. Oh. Okay, he's from here. You know what I mean? He's like, I think he's on one of those dudes on the National Security Council. Oh now. yeah, yeah. He's he's his his. It's Bannon and Pre- Priebus. Those are his two top guys we over love everybody Wisconsin. else. We love him. <laughs> Wait. So what? Can we learn from what happened in Wisconsin? Like, are you guys just stuck? Y'all riding this wave out? Like, what are you doing to revert all the crazy stuff that the governor Walker did? Well, you know, um, that's why I'm mad at the Democratic Party, and but hopeful at the same time because 
for the last two or three years, people have been in the streets, you know, rebellion and, and you know, what I've just a radical voice. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a lot of reactionary voices, but when you pin poor people down long enough, you know, Tupac said they come to get you, you know? Yeah. And uh, what we've done here at the Democratic Party is they built these machines to take on these candidates. They're terrible, terrible campaigns. They tear them down after the campaign and they build them back up. Meanwhile, the dinosaur and the devil just keeps walking forward, you know? Yeah destroying everything in front of them so what do you think is going to happen in on the the national level do you think fascism is going to succeed and if so for how long see that's why i'm hopeful because you know you watch all those like uh like science fiction movies Mm -hmm. and tv shows like one of my favorite ones is uh deep space nine it was the brother uh, i can't remember that brother's name right now Mm -hmm. but uh he was like trying to bring balance to the force. And I feel that's what black people are doing right now. You know, I think brown people have to step up. And I feel like if we take our birthright, you know, as going to be the majority of this country in the next 20 years, I feel like we could challenge these fools for power. They're going to come get some of us. Some of us already go in jail. Some of us may experience death, but I'd rather much fight than be in an internment camp. You told me the other day, that you feel as though the Democratic Party through the election. Why? Well, you're trying to get me in trouble with more Democrats as it is. Well, listen, you are free. So this is the first time in a long time that you have not been beholden to any political party or nonprofit organization. Now you are a private citizen again. Yeah. So you can say whatever the hell you want to say. Right. And this will be documentation in case you go missing. (laughs) (laughs) my crib walk out like hey oh man i mean come on man nobody listens to this podcast okay no one listens to it there's like a couple hundred people a couple hundred okay yeah and some spies probably you probably probably have spies and stalkers i don't have any stalkers i'm not that you definitely have a white man stalker Mm -mm. no no mm -mm. they do they don't talk to me they just be stalking in the in the bushes they don't say anything to me on social media I'm not inviting them to at this point, but I'm just saying I'm not that famous. Yeah, they go crazy. Don't do that. No. And But you could probably beat a white dude up. Stop trying to skirt the question. <laughs> why did the Dems throw the election for Hillary Clinton? See, I don't know why they threw it. I mean, I, I, mean, I think there's a couple ways to think about the Democratic Party. Now, black America, young America has been going crazy for it the last three or four years in the streets, Black Lives Matter went from a couple people tweeting about it on mm-hmm. Trayvon Martin's death to a global hashtag all over the world. Yes. Like, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an uncontrollable energy I don't think anybody anticipated blowing up. And I feel like the Democratic Party is as invested in suppressing the future of brown and black America and the elite of the Democratic Party as much as the Republican Party. Yes. Now, they might not have intentionally, you know, not went out and did the work, but they didn't respond to the the data that was in front of them. And they definitely played one of the worst campaigns I've seen since I've been doing electoral politics in 2000. So. So what would so what were the top three things you think they got completely wrong with the Hillary campaign? They tried to position Hillary as a maternal leader. <laughs> like, why? You know, I thought she she's was, a woman. They were trying to go for the ovary vote. They already, I mean, they didn't get it. They didn't get the white. 
We'll see when the tax startup they <laughs> shooting. But they didn't get the I mean they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And they they should have known they weren't gonna get that. You yeah. know, but I think they should have positioned her as scary as hell, I'm coming to get you, you know. Take no take no nonsense, take no prisoner. I've been doing this. I've been the I've been the person behind the man. Now it's time for me to step out in front. I know so many things that you don't even know. I've been involved with so many things that you didn't even know. And now it's time for me to take credit for the stuff that I did. That's what they should have done. I don't know why. I don't know what messaging told them that. But I was like, this is the, you know, what it was. We're better together. Like, that's that's not who she is. That's not even that sounds like something that they just came up with because his slogan was killing. So they was like, oh, we need a slogan. And they were still trying to use the same type of like font and color scheme as Obama. So it was like, uh, this isn't. Yeah, but do you know that that Hillary logo is a riff off of the Barry Goldwater 1968 super racist dude? Oh, yeah. So, like, you sending signals to black America, mixed messages. Yeah. So, yep, you needed the black people. And then the other thing is, she, the second thing is, she did not engage black women the right way. I mean, she tried, you know, Donna Brazil. Like, I really respect those sisters that were inside there because mm-hmm. that's the one thing I did feel like if we got something out out of it was that black women went to town and yeah but the, i mean black women still voted for her 93 percent still voted for her so she got black women but uh, she didn't get white women so what does that say that you got the minority vote but you didn't get your own people's vote i i you know they didn't i think they their math was wrong they didn't get enough of young black america they didn't get the obama 80 percent milwaukee i don't even know what it voted for this last time but we had 85 percent of this city go vote for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. That did not happen here. Yeah. You know, in these towns where she, you know, 5,000 votes here, 7,000 votes here, that's black women. Yeah. You know, that's she didn't get them. She got a the overall percentage of black vote, but no, nah, man. She didn't she didn't run a good campaign. I think she was afraid of the race issue. She should have dumped jumped all the way into it. And so that was the second thing. Yeah, because it was it was very clear her and Bernie really did not know how to engage or speak with the Black Lives Matter people. Whenever they were confronted, they really I mean, Bernie let them talk when they like stormed the stage, but they didn't really in, in, incorporate any of the things that Black Lives Matter wanted into their campaign speech because they didn't want to offend. I don't think I don't think they want to offend the white voter because see, white people in America feel like they don't understand that you can do more than one thing at once. So they don't understand that you can you can fight for the white working class and you can also fight for the underprivileged people of color in this country. Those two things are not, you know, they don't negate each other. They can work simultaneously. So white people feel once they see you catering to people of color that you're not for them because they have convinced themselves that people of color are the reason why they aren't in the upper class and they're just working a regular, you know, hourly job. Like it's the black people and Hispanic people and Muslim people's fault that they're not rich white people in America. But you know, you know who that that makes sense. But you got to know your numbers. You got to know what your win number is. And if your number says, "I got to get a whole bunch of black," I mean, that's what Obama did. Like, why would you think that four years after Obama, eight years after Obama, that you have a different vote number? I mean, to people that do data yeah. and count numbers, like it's. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Well, man. because she hate because she I feel like she probably still resented the fact that she lost to Obama and she didn't want to run his race. She didn't want to run his campaign because she wanted to prove that she wasn't him. So well, I think she was trying to get the people that she she was trying to get the people who she thought supported her the first time she ran to come back and in bigger numbers. 
And I think the issue with 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 the Democrats being just as I don't want to say racist, but just as like condescending to people of color as a GOP party is that the GOP party doesn't really care about people of color at all. They don't factor us in at all. And the elite Democratic members, they think about us as only people who can vote for them so they can do what they want to do anyway. It's changing, Hillary. I mean, I almost called you Hillary. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Chloe. Uh, that's funny. I so who? So I just read an article yesterday that says that, you know, GOP millennials are really empowered and they are going to start trying to take local offices in the next, you know, midterm elections. But they're, they have the money. They're backed by these private people, these angel investors. And in, I'm using angel very loosely. Um, <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Who um who get to, you know, support their campaign from the ground up until they run for office. And people don't realize this is that, you know, Paul Ryan, Mike Pence, and who's the other guy, Rand? Put your mic up. Oh yeah. Um, they were all ushered in from the Tea Party movement and they were all backed financially by people who thought like them and they, you know, got old democratic people out of office which is why we have this cabinet and this freaking political like landscape that we have now is because this is all remnants of the tea party movement which has been legitimized by backing so now we need people to back the young democratic movement these new faces that are gonna you know unseat these old crotchety ass democrats and combat this you know but people don't put money behind democratic power like that because there's, there's been no need for it so maybe now there may be a need for it you don't you're shaking your head i mean now. i don't think it's come from the democratic party I, I mean maybe but they'd have to be like no it's gonna it has to be some independent third wave stuff for real tr- true change we could have some more of the same stuff and potentially there will be a, a wave of young black and brown power in the Democratic Party. But I've been hearing that same thing. <laughs> uh, man, I have so many stories of being a young Democratic dude. Ah. I want to hear one. Tell <laughs> me. I want to hear it. So I was at 2004, like November, right after Bush won the second time. I was invited to this really fancy thing with all these fancy young activists from all across the country to mm-hmm. come. And uh, I was like, yo, I am pissed. What about black issues? got off smacked me you know basically shot me down from the crowd another time howard dean like i had to get a suit it was like a fancy training i had to get a suit they said if you don't get a suit you can't go i said get a suit i'm hip-hop as hell got a suit howard dean what are we gonna do about black people this 2006 not nothing you know (laughs) they did not say nothing look you mean you do messaging. You know you know how when you hear yeah. someone ice skating and yeah, bam, yeah. that's what they do. And I love them because they really think that there's this magical white middle class in America that does not exist. No. Milwaukee is a brown and black town. You know, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus got a, a huge refugee population. Minneapolis. Minneapolis, huge. The largest Somali population in, in outside of Somalia. So who are they talking to? Yeah. Who are they creating these messages? Until the Democratic Party, old white people are like, I retire. But they ain't going to do it, though. Some states have term limits, like California. But then that creates another problem of, because not people out there aren't there long enough before they can get some stuff done. So I mean, I feel like like two terms, I feel like two to three terms should be max. Two to three terms should be the max. You should, there's no way, there's no reason why anybody should be in office for 30, 30 years. That's insane. 
You were you were there when they had mimeographs. Yeah, and, like you like you were there before the internet. Like you need to not still be there because you are definitely not connected to your constituents. The fact that we still have to call them and tell them we don't want them to vote away in 2017 is ridiculous to me. Ridiculous. It's definitely ridiculous. It's yeah, so man. it's so ass backwards. That's not working either. I don't I don't know what's going on. Well, it's so funny because see now see now is that I'm realizing that people in this country really really are ignorant because they don't even un- they don't even notice the double talk like you know so i'm out here because i'm performing at different colleges in the midwest and i was at a show and i know better than to bring up trump's name on stage because it's so polarizing and also a lot of white people's college students they don't want to admit that they white people are really good at, at admit not admitting their political views in public spaces so if you bring up Trump, they'll just give you a deer in the headlight look, which means I voted for him, but I know better than to talk about it in public because this is mixed company. They're really good at like not airing out their shit in public. So I know not to bring him up in conversation, but I was talking to a student before a show and they were like, so, you know, how do you like, you know, what do you talk about and all this stuff? And I was like, well, I know what not to talk about. I said, but, you know, it's really interesting because you guys are the future. You guys need to be paying attention to what's going on. And she was actually studying um, environmental engineering. And I was like, well, how do you feel about him getting rid of the EPA? She had no idea what I was talking about. Wow. She was like, well, I really don't like, I really try not to pay attention to politics. It's just so much. And, you know, I was like, yeah, but you need to pay attention to the policy. You're in school right now to become an environmental engineer. They want to get rid of the EPA. They just made it legal for companies to dump shit into our water. And you are an environmental engineer major. So you should know what that means. And she was like, well, I guess I should read up on it. No concept, no urgency, no sense of like, damn, maybe they are doing some crazy shit to to like make it hard for us in the future because they just got the Muslim ban. So they think that is the biggest thing since sliced bread. Are they hype on it? They're not hype publicly, but you know, they, I mean, white people have convinced themselves that terrorists want to kill them. And there has not been a terrorist act in this part of the country ever by direct order of ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Never. Has never been. Never. They're not coming for you here. They don't care about you. Like, I hate to say it that way, but they're not coming to Nebraska or Wisconsin to kill 10 white people in a parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's not white people in a parking lot. That's not. They don't care about that. So when you're talking about you voted for man because you feel like our borders aren't strong enough, you have no people of color in your community. That's why fascism can take over, man. Yo, I read another article and it's so crazy. It's like um, it's like Lord of, Lord of the Flies. So basically all the people with who. Piggy. Yeah, with Piggy. So it's basically all the people who enacted the order, the Muslim ban order, were treating these people like fucking caged animals. Like and these are the people who work every day, so they have no political allegiance, but they just do it. They're just doing their job, and these are the people who are going to be the ones. And now that's why I'm so cautious of what I say in public spaces, like social media or whatever, because I feel like it'll get to the point where people are just going to turn to folks like how they did in Trump rallies and pointing people out, like, "Come get this person, come arrest this person." They said something, they did something, and the person's like, "I didn't do anything," but just because somebody pointed at them. It's like um, it's like that movie with the aliens when um, they point and they just do the siren. They just start yelling like body snatchers. Like they know you're not one of us and they just start yelling and then they just all descend and like carry away and kill you. Oh, man. I didn't see that one. That sounds scary as hell. 
I gotta remember which one it was. I watch a lot of um. Into the well, world you can't movies. do that though. That's the exact opposite of what you should do. You should be loud because I should dude, be loud. You know the thing about Hitler. There are all these comparisons to Hitler. Yes. Hitler had a whole party system that he was controlling before when he went into the government. He was. Know? The people don't realize how long he was in motion. It wasn't a two, three, four year thing. He was in power for like 10, 11 years. Like he had been moving for almost like about a decade. Yeah, Trump ain't Trump just got here and he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. And he clearly like I thought like maybe there was some evil puppet. Nah, this dude is just clueless. You no, know? he doesn't he asks a lot of people for advice. So but so my thing, him. but my thing is, yeah, but you're saying we can beat him, but you're not involved in politics anymore. Oh, you, I, I help my clients are involved <laughs> in politics. I help. I'm just so not, you're the Bannon. You're you're the Black Bannon, basically. I mean, come on, Black Bannon, <laughs> <laughs> Black Bannon. I like to meet Bannon. I like to hang out with him and chop it up. Uh, he wouldn't talk to you. He's racist as fuck. That's why I'd like to talk to him, so he can see a real black man, show that we ain't afraid of, afraid of him. I know. I don't understand how people are racist. I got a lot to lose. What what do they get to lose? What what is what is white America losing? That safety that's in their head that really has them feeling like they're they control the world. You know they have this urge to like domesticate and control. I mean you can go back to the ISIS papers and stuff. But I like an evangelical pastor told me that he you know we fight our urge to domesticate. Well I mean you know if you really believe God you know you're not in control man. No. So like chill out. But th- and that's to me like to me that's like a baseline argument for all of this shit. It's like, are you God? No, so you can't tell me what to do. Period. That includes Planned Parenthood. That includes being gay. That includes being transgender. Like you can't tell me how to live my life because you're not God. And you also wanted separation of church and state. So those two premises right there should nullify all of this nonsense that we're going through right now. But people can't see that. We're going through a revolutionary period, man. The, the state will never be the same after this. Like, you know, you used to be like, now you can't get, you can't be divorced if you have a, a I think, it, you know, it's like you can't be divorced and be president. You can't have affairs. You can't do any of that stuff. We got a straight up crazy dude. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. But that's why I don't really think that we're going to have a two party system after this. I think it's going to kind of disintegrate. I don't think we're going to have a two ballot party voting system in 2020. Not valid now. It's not. We can have a longer conversation. It's not valid now. We got. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Stop trying to rush me. I'm not going to be back in Milwaukee no time soon. True. (laughs) I haven't seen you in a couple of years. That's true. You weren't famous last time I hung out with you. Oh, please. I'm not famous. I'm here in Milwaukee right now. I've seen you on famous people TV shows. Wait. So let's talk about Milwaukee. So we went. We watched the Super Bowl a little bit in a black sports bar. It was um it was interesting. Shout out to Skybox. Shout out to Skybox, which was really it's really nice establishment. It was really nice. It's clean and it was friendly. Um, but tell me about the black community here in Milwaukee. What is what is Milwaukee about? Because I I read I remember when uh, was it the the Bucks coach or somebody was like Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities in America. It was like the Bucks. One of the principals with the Bucks. Yeah. One of the owners. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's terrible, man. I mean, for a segregation standpoint, you know, it's like stuck in the 50s. You know, you got a, a large black and brown population. Over 50% of the cities black or brown. And you got an old German, you know, Scandinavian mm. power class holding on. Using all the little tricks that they got and know how to do to hold on. So, you know, it's poor. It's poor as hell here. It wasn't always like this, you know. So a lot of great like singers and activists and intellectuals have come here because you got to get it out the mud, but it's getting worse, man. It's getting really worse. I, I sometimes wonder if like, um, 
if it will ever get better. I didn't used to think like that, but. Well, you're so optimistic about the country and telling us to look forward and not think about negative things. You don't have the same optimism for your home city. We're in the belly of the beast. I, Scott Walker, Ryan's Priebus, Paul Ryan, they're all from here. You know, Paul Ryan's district, you can drive there and get there in 20 minutes. I'm sure you, at the Whitewater, you were just there, you know. Oh, yeah, that was his district. I'm pretty sure Whitewater's there. Yeah. So, you know, it's like they don't they don't really care about black Oh, people. I can't hear you. They don't really care about black people here. So it's like we got to figure it out. But I don't know. So what's the what is what is like the greatest lesson you've learned from working in these political spaces? Mm. And what was your biggest disappointment? Wow, my biggest lesson. My biggest lesson. My biggest lesson. That's a big one. I don't haven't even broke it down that that deep. But uh you gotta be fearless, a truth teller, and numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Part of the reason I'm able to be able to be successful is that I can count and <laughs> straight up when I keep counting, you know. And I think you, you know, like if you if you come at this and think it's about emotions, you know, you're gonna lose. It's about putting up goals or touchdowns or buckets. And in politics and I think technology is the other thing where you know you don't have to have any type of education as long as you understand that you can get in the game. Yeah, because when it comes to the guy, I remember I used to study computer science. And if one thing is off, none of it works. And that's what people don't understand. Like if one number is off, if one fraction, one decimal is moved, if one if then why is not equal to what it should be, it none of it will work. And now I think we're at the point if you're if you're looking at like coding and binary, we're at the point now where we have to go back through our code of this country to figure out what zero and what one is off. And then reset the entire thing. Because you can't fix from here. It's nothing that you would do now, even if it's right, is going to fix it. You got to go back and figure out what is the error code. I got like such a big theoretical tech answer for that. But I don't want to nerd you out. But there's a no, whole, that's a whole school it. of thought that, you know, that's like traditional waterfall coding. It is right. And you got to go find it. But, you know, in tech, there's a theory called agile. And agile is like a, a concept where you you attack the big problems. But you don't tack them head on. You use data points, and then once you from the get to the data points, you get to your most viable option. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, most viable business option and minimum viable product. And unfortunately, we've made our political product. What do they sell? They sell crime. They sell abortion. Mm-hmm. They sell bombing brown people because it's easy. Gun control, gun rights. Yeah, it's easy to scare people. And I think if we get to the values and touch to like the human spirit, what do people want? We can build something beautiful, man. Like we really can. Like I really like I'm talking crazy about white people and the Democratic Party, as you do. And they deserve. <laughs> Throw me under that bus. I've heard you. <laughs> you just did it. But uh, but also I've seen young white people at Black Lives Matter rallies, you know, like willing to die. You know, mm-hmm. at, at, in Ferguson, like white people willing to die, you know, more than I am. Like, chill out, white homie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So let's talk about that. So you were in Ferguson for a year and a half, like in the hotbed of it all. Like you were sent there. You got a grant to help people get the message out. And you were working with a, a private investor, right? Sure. Okay, fine. Whatever. The NDAs are real. Um, But you were working with someone who sponsored you to go there and be a part of the action. And what was your what was your goal? What was your job when you went there? You know, my primary goal was two things. One was to help amplify the voices of 
people in the community, the real street leaders, you yes. know? And the second one was to keep those street leaders safe because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was a real hostile environment. And, you know, the, the forces of local politics, local police, they don't play. And so I felt like with a lot of other people down there that we could use the press and to to get voices out while keeping the boys. And the off. thing is that I, when you really think about it in retrospect, especially when you see how protesting has become so fluid in our country now in opposition to president, it's a miracle that more people weren't killed in Ferguson. A lot of people still died in Ferguson, though. No, I know they died and it wasn't really reported, but it, and a lot of those deaths were kind of like mysterious, like, oh, person found in their car, burned alive, or a person shot himself, suicide, like allegedly. But I'm talking about like the way they were beating and killing people in the 60s during the civil rights movement. Like that's what Ferguson could have. Ferguson could have easily been dogs, water hoses, and bloody bodies in the street. And it wasn't that. I mean, it was, but it wasn't to that level or maybe it wasn't i just no no see. it wasn't i think a lot of that was because of social media social media man and then the voices of uh young black youth i mean you could have did that but there'd have been an equal and opposite response yeah. you know and so i think as long as we were you know telling the story honestly while also giving room for that righteous anger to bubble up but not explode we you know i think that's sort of what presented presented but that's a new era because trump He's about to squash all of that. He took down everything for LGBT rights and civil rights and equality. And he put up support for our law enforcement on his website. So he's, he's in, emboldened these, not the most edge. I mean, they're not the most educated people when you think about it. Like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to become a cop. Anybody could become a cop, you know? So you have people who are coming from a very uh, myopic point of view and just want to get rid of the bad guys and so the bad guys is now synonymous with any person of color you know what those guys want they want jobs you know I went I had to go to this like army surplus store because I had to buy all these stupid stuff like gas masks and do you like, still have them you should still have oh them. yeah I still have stuff do you have a bug out bag I gotta make one a bug out bag like a prep a prep yeah, thing yeah I don't I so you know at the house, I got some stuff prepped, but I ain't living like that. I can't live like that, Chloe. I, can't. I See, I go back and forth because, I mean, I have everything that I, I would need for a bug out bag in, like, my checkout cart on Amazon. I just have to buy it. But then a part of me feels like if I buy it, then I'm subscribing to the mentality that I have to constantly live in a moment of fear. Or, you know, it's weird. It's like it's one thing to be prepared and it's the one thing to um, surrender. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> they want us to be more afraid, you know. You know, they want us to be more afraid of what's going on because the more we give into our, our humanity, give up of our humanity, the more they can take from us. You know, and a yeah. lot of my homies that were in Ferguson have PTSD tremendously. Yeah. And uh, they, I have PTSD from driving around this country and seeing Trump signs for the past two years. Yeah, man. Like you, I had a, I had a visceral reaction to it. Like I would be driving and I would see it and it would just make my heart drop. Because I know with, the, I mean, to me, after, if, you, if you're driving down a road for four hours and you see nothing but Trump sign, Trump sign, Trump sign, huge cornfield, big, massive signs, to me, it's this, it has the same reaction. I have the same reaction as seeing Confederate flags. Man, that's deep. Because I know what it represents. It, re it represents holding on to white supremacy, in my mind. Yeah, but that only way they win is they tricking us. They tricking us. Well, they're not they tricking us. They tricking their people. 
Yeah, but a lot of us getting tricked too. How I so? Mean, <clears throat> and I don't really worry about white people so much, you know, because maybe I live in a black ass city, so it's like y'all come in the hood. But I just feel like we give them. There's this great philosopher and scholar and activist out of Detroit named Grace Box. She said there's a difference between a job and a work. Work. Black people, we always looking for a job. We, you know, we want to go do something for someone else. We, you know, we ain't we ain't the man unless we the man with somebody else. But we have so much work to do in our community, and mm-hmm. we have let white supremacy think that we can't get to this work unless someone gives validates us or give us a grant or gives us a check. And Trump is trying to scare us because he wants to control our bodies. But the more we believe in ourselves and give up over white supremacy, more control we have. We make we make black Twitter is Twitter. Yeah. Why do they call it black Twitter? Because it's the dopest part of Twitter. Right. Because we make it dope. Yeah. We have the power all over the globe, man. You've been you, all over the globe. We got the power, man. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely. Fuck Trump. We definitely do have the influence. I love how it took you uh, 40 minutes into this podcast to say fuck Trump. Right. Um, where at the top you were kind of apprehensive about talking about anything. Um, no, you said talk about the Democratic Party. It was uh, oh, so you're more afraid of the Democratic Party than you are of Trump? I just think they is good. I think they're good people and they're just really broken. Misguided right yeah. now. Okay. So you still have faith. I have faith in human beings. So, so you have faith in the the, the Democratic Party is like your your ex girlfriend that you love, but you can't be with right now. That's a good. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's good a good example. Yeah. So tell me about these cops in Ferguson. You said that they just want jobs. They just take. It's like uh, Lord of Fly, Lord of the Flies. They're just taking orders. Yeah, man. I mean, the, the whole. I mean, but a, some of them are kind of like. Oh uh, sure, of yeah. course. You know, you got like sure. You know, they're killers. It's mm-hmm. a system. You know, and you know, Darren Wilson, obviously a killer. Yeah. My homeboy's got a film coming out that's going to expose the mess out of Darren Wilson. It opens at South by Southwest. I can't wait till it hits. What's the name of it? Uh, what is the name of it? Stranger Fruit. You know, it's the story of Mike Brown's family and, you know, what they did to cover up in Ferguson. It's, it's going to make people cry, but. Darren Wilson was one of those dudes that definitely wants to kill people. But in an environment where we reframe what the police are, you know, and, and what their relationship is it is with the community. And then as elected officials, what our money that we're giving to the police yeah. is supposed to do. I think we can have a different conversation, but that's revolutionary. You that know? is. And that comes from leadership within the community and telling people how to engage with the police. So we have to train them on how to deal with us. Or yeah, we got to make sure the right people are our police. Yeah. yeah, but see, black people don't want to be cops uh, because the, the, we we framing cops. The word "cop" means kill niggas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If it didn't mean kill niggas, if it meant protect the lady that's running down the street and gets, you know, there's ways to reframe everything we're doing. That's the power of art. Yeah. That's why I'm hopeful because we're more artistic than ever. You know. Do you want to talk about why you uh why you would throw hands if you saw DeRay in the street? Ah, uh, DeRay. Ooh. <laughs> You know, I have a lot of people ask me this, and I'm only gonna to say this to you. Yes, I want to hear it. I've been I've been asked by international outlets to ask talk about D Ray. Here's the thing about D Ray. D Ray is a Democratic Party progressive liberal dude, good guy. The people of Ferguson are poor. Crips, bloods, grandmas, rappers. They're the most. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. You know, mm-hmm. like people. Like fighting for each other. Yeah. And to be a dude that works for Teach for America, to jump in the middle of it because you understand Twitter or because you have relationships, to steal any of that voice and not to put it on the magic. It's just, it's just, it's, 
it's acting to me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the re- Ferguson, the realest shit in the world to me. And I just, I can't stand phony kicking the dudes. D-Ray's a good dude. He was out there. I saw him marching, giving people hugs. But he got he, people out there. But he hijacked the narrative. Oh, completely, man. Mm-hmm. It became about the dude in the blue vest. Yeah. And I, I was too close. People in Ferguson like, Biko, we got to do something about D-Ray. I'm like, let him be. No, you know, he's, he's trying, you know, he's trying. Yeah. And then. Whoa, he runs for mayor and, you know, he's got all these sponsors. <laughs> and, sponsors. Because my thing is, because when he was doing this, I was like, how is he living? Like, so let me tell you something. I was near Ferguson when it was hot. I was out here on the road and I told myself, I was like, yo, me, me personally, I want to go out there. I want to help. I want to bring water. I want to do something. And my mother was like, Chloe, please don't go out there. And I was like, all right, mom. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going to go by there. I'm going to go by there because I was in Flint. And then I remember being on the radio, listening to the radio, and something on the radio was like, don't come to Ferguson unless you plan on getting arrested. And I was like, I got stuff to do tomorrow, so I'm not going to go to Ferguson. But I feel like it, once you commit to that, that it becomes your life. There's no, to me, when, when, the, when the revolution happens, there's no such thing as part-time revolutionaries. It's like, once you're out there, you out there. You can't be like, I'm going to be back. I got my shift at 7 o'clock. <laughs> so, like, when you're there, you're there. So, I was thinking, like, who is funding him? How is he living? How is he paying for stuff? Because he was there for a year. You know, part of it. No, he was not there for a year. <laughs> How long was he there? He for? would be. He'd pop in. He'd pop in, and even there, I did. I would be. I would go for like two weeks at a time, three weeks maybe mm-hmm. the longest, and come back home. I couldn't do it. D. Ray would be like, you know, there's the front line, and then there's the front front line, like where people would be right right in front of the cops. Like, holy crap, the cop could really kill you if you yeah. wanted to. D. Ray would be off like on the parking lot somewhere tweeting. You know, he had occasionally I got he'd occasionally come up and talk to people and no disrespect because I didn't want to go up there all the time. I was this nice. Yeah. I was like, hell no. Yeah. But I just think D-Ray didn't he didn't give honor to the to the community in the right way. And there, you know, there's people in the movement on both sides. You know, I'm talking about the more street side or the more D-Ray side who are mad at him. And, you know, I wish the brother luck, you know, but, but you, you-, you step outside outside of the community and step outside your constituency. And I called him when I I, I put it, you know, we, me and him talked. And I said, bro, you smart, smart dude, but you don't have a constituency, man. You can't which let Twitter what, f- kill which you. Which is what we talked about earlier before we started recording. It's like having, being a voice is good, but you need to have a, an audience. You need to motivate. You either, you either have to have a compelling personality that motivates people to listen and be engaged or you have to have an audience that just wants to hear what you have to say. So either you inspiring people or you are holding their attention. But if you don't have those two things going for you, it doesn't work. You just got to do the work. That Grace Boggs, just do the work. So what's the work? Just stick to it. You know, it's like, what do you, what, what, what's, what is your theory of change? Like, if your theory of change is the more I educate people online, the more progressive and more active my people will be, okay, then do that. Don't make it about petty and, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. snap on you and I'm going to, we just, oh, Lord Jesus. That's the one thing I, I, that I do being a little bit older or a lot older now than some of these young people coming up now. It's like the petty thing is cool. It's cool to be petty because they never got punched in the face. You know, when I was coming up, politics a little bit more direct, you know? Yeah. Well, that's because they come from a PC generation. So you people just ignore or they, people didn't publicly say these things so they can say them on social media. But I remember I used to get, I used to get, 
in trouble for saying stuff when I was a kid growing up, you know, teachers didn't like me because I would be like, this is ridiculous. Why are we learning this? And then they call my mom and my mom be like, what did you say? I was like, I said, this is stupid. Why are we learning this? This is not true. And then she'd be like, well, she don't think it's true. So we'll go home and we'll do our own research. But in school, you got to do this bullshit. And That's I was right. like, all right, fine. As long as your mom had some sense. My mom had sense, but I think she realized that I wasn't just, I wasn't a normal child. I wasn't, I wasn't sold on things. I was a why kid, which is why I ended up being a journalist. Cause you can't just tell me something is. I'll be like, why is it that what way? What sign are you? I'm a Capricorn. Oh. And even now, like I, I'm not interesting Capricorn. Why so? I don't know. I have to. Sorry. I feel like we've been listen. We we've, we've been friends. We've known each other. For, like I will say, we've known each other for a long time. But since I've been here, I feel like you've been looking at me in a different way. Like you, I, what did you think? Who did you think I was before now? I mean, you were you know editor. I didn't. I really didn't know. I really don't know. You thought I was a square. You thought I was a, a square chick. Yeah, probably a square. Who just read and did reporting what was her title at the source like man i had so many so many titles at the source i was never so this is the thing this is how fugazi uh the source was i got there i was assistant editor then i became news editor then then i became features editor this is all within like three years and then um i was up for another title but then i left because it went so far downhill but those titles didn't mean anything i basically was like politics and culture editor i think that was a I was a title as well. I had, I had. So the source titles. had a cold culture though. Like you could say all that people could be mad at it now because the way it crashed, you know. But that's the source is produced because people still cooking after the source. Oh, know? the source has produced a lot of great thinkers and and people in television so and film some and credit writing for giving those. You didn't just go in there and they just give them to you. Oh no 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 they didn't no. I mean you definitely had to you had to work like that. That's the one thing about it. You definitely had to work even when it was going downhill. You still had to do work. It wasn't your work wasn't as um your work wasn't held to as high of a standard because it just wasn't the research or the possible. bodies there to do the checking for it. But we definitely tackled a lot of uh, serious issues and I think that's a part of the issue when it comes to empowering people of colors that we don't really have any um any respected outlets or publications or news sources that can talk to this gener this this post hip hop millennial generation. And when I say post hip hop, I mean like where the source left off to now. I don't think hip hop as a culture is informative. I think hip hop now is just an entertainment source. I don't think it's a it's a mindset. Um when I'm talking about like the hip hop generation, I think that's like up until, you know, I don't know. Jay Z yeah. became an old man. Who Jay Z? <laughs> uh, up until Jay Z became an old man, there was a hip hop culture. Yeah, and we don't have that anymore. Kanye yeah. was Kanye was the start to the end of hip hop culture for me, because That's... it became all about consumerism, all about like this braggadocious Rick. Like the fact that Rick Ross is a big time rapper to me blows my mind because he's the most fraudulent character that we've seen in a long ass time. Yeah, I used to talk so much stuff about Rick Ross and people were like, yo, B, you should probably stop that. <laughs> yeah, but that's because he that's because he's connected to people, but he isn't a valid character as an artist. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like his whole MO was lifted from somebody else. But you know why he wins? Because he just does the work. 
He just be making. He just makes cold records. His records are cold. Which you can't is deny yeah. It. But what I'm saying is, so so you could do you could do invalid work. He's doing work, and he has a fan base, and he has an audience. But he doesn't have the substance, and he isn't he isn't improving the culture in any way. So I think it depends on what you want your work to do. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, I want my work to do good. I want my work to motivate people. I want work, my work to be a topic of conversation. I want people to come come up with their own informed opinions after hearing or seeing something or reading something that I've produced. But just to glorify selling drugs when you was a correctionals officer, <laughs> like let's not forget, and you took your name from a real drug dealer who had to sue you for his name back and he lost. Like... These are this is he's a fabrication of all things stereotypical when it comes to hip hop culture. And I don't and I think that is the end of hip hop culture. It's just hip hop artists now. I don't think it's a culture. I don't think it's a unified culture where people go to listen to shit. That's why Kendrick stands out so much. But if Kendrick came out when Nas was hot. Right. And all those other people that was actually talking about shit, he wouldn't stand out, but he stands out now. Him and J. Cole stand out now because they go on against people that's just singing synonyms. <laughs> Literally. My just, dibba, my dabba. Yeah, that's it. You're just doing sounds, phonics. That's it. Yeah, man. But, I, you know, I, again, at the same time, it's a vibration that I, I give these young cats credit for being able to create. And I think that vibration is powerful. I just think the struggle is if we can't give our past vibration the details like the movement we just be running in circles well, that's what i'm saying but that's we where hip-hop have to, is at man it's like it's like stuck, it's stuck. in between the loops like it two is loops. stuck it's stuck Three and it loops. needs to and so it needs to have a force behind it there's no force that's pushing it forward like russell we need russell no to- it's not russell i think that it, it needs i think that they need to realize that they can't i mean put it like this if the white working class is living in a buzz if they're living in the deplorable bubble hip-hop the the young hip-hop generation for lack of a better term or label is also living in its own bubble because they feel like as long as i can record a song in my bathroom and put it up on soundcloud and then make a video and then go and you know get some show money or as long as i can get on a reality tv show and make money by doing appearances in clubs i'm good my life is good my life is fine so all you know as many times i hear people of color saying to me well i don't know what the big difference is because my my life ain't gonna really change now that he's president really you don't think so what about your kids? What about your drinking water? Mm. What about the person that can now get a gun who stalks you on social media and come to your house, shoot you in the face because they were able to buy a gun? Mm. These are the things that people aren't thinking about. They're not. So it's here though. They're better. What? So what are they gonna? When are they gonna wake up? Not everybody wakes up, man. Some people get hit by the wave. Some people, <sighs> but the people that survive and figure it out would be better because they did some shit that was impossible. So you're basically saying people got to go. No, I don't think people have to go, but I think if you don't wake up, you're going to go. You, it's already happening. People are, you know, in my state, you can look at it, 50% black male unemployment, you know, 30% of everybody that's black and male has been the, you know, people didn't wake up, you know, because we didn't realize what was going on. So, the, you know, you got the 40-year-old and 45-year-old homeboys coming back now. They got caught up in the way because they didn't respond. I think we're, the young generation is wise enough to to respond Mm -hmm. we have more geniuses now than ever before i know you know what i'm waiting for i'm waiting for miracles like how come we don't get no burning bushes and no angels popping down from the sky i feel like we are right you didn't think when the birdie the birdie landed on bernie sanders thing that was a miracle no he lost he's not president how's that a miracle 
I'm talking about a miracle. I'm talking about somebody waking up and being like, yo, the angel Michael visited me and told me that we need to do X, Y, and Z to get this shit popping. That person would get ran away so quick. We probably killed that person already. (laughs) Where are the miracles at? Where are the miracles? Where are our miracles? Where are our signs? Where are our signs from the higher being? We are all miracles. That's the thing. Your story is miraculous. All of our, seriously, think about about where black people were 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. Think about it. And did you travel the country driving through, being on TV? You know, that's crazy. Yeah. You know? Uh, My grandma used to tell me they're going to kill me. They're going to kill you, boy. You know what I mean? Because I wear radical t-shirts ain't nobody gonna kill me yeah. that's crazy yeah. we're our miracle we gotta stop looking for that big you know that's i love christ i love jesus i love spirituality but we start with ourselves, and that's a deeper conversation we'll hold that there well we'll save it for another 10 years when i maybe come back to milwaukee um so let's finish this up because you're a very busy man one let's start here what makes you a social misfit rob Biko baker what makes me a social what makes misfit? you a social misfit? Okay, you got to define social misfit because that's how you named yourself when you opened the show. Well, it's what is what makes you what makes you feel as though you may be a part of a different mindset, or what makes you stand out, or you're not you're not a sheep. You're not a sheep. Man, I'm a, I'm, from I'm a working class mixed dude from Milwaukee, most seg- mixed dude from the most segregated city in America. Mm-hmm. You know, got to so. That's and I'm, you know, people think white. That means like your family has money and like nah, my people from the hood and so. Who's who was white and who was black? My mom was white. Mm-hmm. Is white. And my dad is black. They're still together. They're like hippies. Really? Yeah, it's weird. What do you mean it's weird that they're still together or that yeah, they're hippies? Both. Like man, they well, there's breakout dancing and I'd be like, what are y'all doing? How many siblings do you have? I have one younger brother. Uh huh. Yeah. Is he like you? Uh, he's. Uh, super smart like me he's not a social activist as i am so what made you become as a as a mixed person what made you become a social activist and also do you think that there is something to people being mixed and being more vocal for the black community than people who are just like all the way black because i feel like light-skinned black people be going super hard (laughs) (laughs) we got privileged too you know when you when you're the mixed person or the white light-skinned person i've had so many like you know you're different or like be race wars at high school and teacher would be like come in we need you to solve this problem really oh my gosh you know that'd be it'd be weird stuff you know so you like by the time you're like 10 or 11 you got to pick an identity you know what i mean and, and so I, you chose black i mean my dad is black man you know what what I, my dad's mean as baddest black man on the planet why would i not choose that but would I, you but you don't when you say you're black it's not like you're dismissing your white white race you're no. just saying that I culturally identify more with the black people i mean i get pulled over like a black person to call a nigger <laughs> like a black person you know i got i can code switch and you know some people will because i mentioned they... you was wearing your curly hair so you was you was in that thickness of it i was in the thickness of, uh, of switching. I think I was la oh know. that was that la vato look you was going for <laughs> what <laughs> i don't know yeah my hair does curl like that it's really because i didn't, didn't cut my hair i was too busy oh but that's another story Everything is another story with you. So you're a social misfit because you're a mixed kid from Milwaukee. I think so. Probably makes me a little bit different. So what made you become an activist, though? I mean, I've always, I mean, I've always been activist as I can remember. You know, what I mean, like, you just don't fuck with injustice. I mean, I had a teacher like you know gave us roots. You know, oh, you could read sixth grade, a white teacher, Lutheran school, roots. I read it. I was like, oh, that's crazy. Alex Haley, 
You know, so Alex Haley, Malcolm X, I see that, read that at 14 or mm-hmm. 12, 13. She made a lot of sense to me. You yeah. know what I mean? And so you see injustices every day. Being in a racist city, like, why not fight? You yeah. know? And what you going to do? You're going to, I don't know. I just, I'm an athlete too, so I'm competitive. Like, I don't want to be beaten. Yeah. I, I hate being beaten. Uh, Used to hoop. I remember. I know. I, I am, just thought yeah. about that. When you said that being an athlete, I think being an athlete does have a lot. I think it does have a lot to say because when you're an athlete you know how to push your body to limits where you want to give up but you have to keep going and there's no there's no stopping when you're an athlete and when you're an athlete it's about it's all it's you're motivated by personal best you're not motivated by competition you're motivated with like i don't want to be the weakest link i don't want to be the last one i don't want to be the reason why we don't win yeah man so it's very self-motivating Okay, so tell people where can they find you? Give us like your your spiel. Like, what is your your day to day now since you're not out there? Well, I'm a, a, a digital hack. You know, I tell stories and help people that are doing great work get a voice online. What's the name of your company? It's called Render. You know, and you can find me at rendertech.us. You know, so I, I got some smart, cool people that I'm helping, and if you need help getting your voice online, like getting more followers, more engagement, you know, I can definitely help that. But I'm really into nerding out on building stuff. So come holler at me. I keep you safe while making your voice grow. And you bet to be ready to pay. This is not some um, nonprofit organization. This is for profit. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I help I help nonprofit clients. But, you know, I'm you know, I got a Ph.D. from UCLA. And I earned that. And I got some super smart people that are smarter than me that have shared a lot of wisdom with me. So I'm going to make you work. It's going to work. It's going to be worth it. But it ain't nonprofit. Yeah. Rates. Those days are over. Yeah. that Those free days are over. Yeah. You telling me that more and more. So I think I got to hear that. Yeah. I've been, I've been telling you a lot of things to do. So hopefully you will listen to it. And in exchange for all the things that I've told you, you can give me free counseling. On how to get my voice heard. Let's do it. <laughs> Anytime. Oh, where can people follow you at on social media? You What's can follow handle? me. You can follow me at uh, B-I-K-O-B-A-K-E-R. That's Biko Baker with an I. Or on Facebook at Rob Biko Baker. And I guess on Instagram. I don't Snapchat because I don't have a cool enough story yet. Yeah, Not you sexy do. enough, I don't think. I don't Snapchat either, so you'll be fine. Okay, so you can follow him on everything, Rob Biko Baker or Biko Baker. I'm going to put all of that in the description of the show. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for welcoming me to your city. I didn't do a very good job. You had been here like six weeks before I No, it was not true, like three days. Um, and of course, we have to do this again. And I appreciate your candor with talking about, you know, everything that you spoke about. And hopefully we can get people to do the work. That's right. Thank you. Thank you.